Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 7th, the Aunts and Uncles edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show, and I am dad to Noah, who just turned six, and Ami, who's going to be three next week. We live in Detroit. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 11, Oliver, who's nine, and Teddy, who's six, and we live in Tokyo, Japan. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Parent Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's 10, and we live in Los Angeles. We're going to start off today by sharing our parenting ups and downs this week. Then I'll be talking with Jake Gyllenhaal, Greta Caruso, and Dan Santat about their new book, The Secret Society of Aunts and Uncles. We get into what it takes to craft a kid's book, why aunt and uncle relationships are so special, and ultimately why they're so overlooked in children's literature. Finally, if you're one of our Slate Plus listeners, we're going to do a feed follow, where we share some social media accounts we're really loving right now and who we think might brighten up your feed. Here's what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I have one for Jamila <laughs> that I think it came up, you know, your phone's always listening. I had my <laughs> phone in here when we were recording about all the board games and talking about them. Uh, they're called the Board Game Couple, and they're at games, then the number four and then TWO. They play a segment of the game on their reel so you can see it and be like, oh yeah, this is something we would play Uh or this is something we would not play. Not only will you get to hear that fun segment, but as a Slate Plus member, you'll get a whole bonus segment every week. Plus you get to listen to all your favorite Slate podcasts ad-free. It's truly the best way to listen and the best way to support the show. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash plus. All right, we're going to jump into triumphs and fails as soon as we get back from this short break. Hey, guys. So, Jamila, what have you been up to this week? Last week, I had an event. Um, I appeared on a live taping of a podcast, uh, Tanya Mosley's Truth Be Told for NPR. And it was really nice. The event happened. It was in the evening in Pasadena, which is a nice little drive from our house. And it was on a night that I had Naima, so I had to bring her with me. And this is the sort of thing we used to do all the time. I'd have an event. We'd put on cute dresses. We'd go together. We'd be cute together, you know, mommy-daughter thing. And I went to pick her up from after school and I had a dress in the bag and it was a dress I bought a while ago. And when I bought it, I asked her, do you like this? And she was like, yeah. (sighs) But when I presented the dress to her, she was like, oh, no, I hate this. She was like, when did you buy this? And I was like, a while ago. She was like, that's when I was still lying to you. Because Naima doesn't like most of the clothes I pick out for her anymore. She's no longer into being Mm. my cute, pretty little princess. She barely likes wearing dresses, which breaks my heart. I mean, she has some dresses she likes, but in general, she's just not a dress girl anymore. And so she begrudgingly puts this dress on. She's so miserable. Gets to the event, eats some chicken wings, destroys the dress. What do you mean destroys it? She ate some buffalo wings. Okay, so she's not no, like tearing it. She just she's got, just got sauce on no, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have okay. to admit, I feel sad. Like I miss the days where we could put on pink dresses together, you know, and be adorable and mm-hmm. bask in that attention. And she loved it, and I loved it. You know, and that's not who she is anymore. She's more comfortable right. in a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt. You know, she's not my pretty little princess anymore. That's definitely a transition. I don't know that like 
this preteen age is their permanent selves. That's right. You know what I mean? I like a, a lot of this, because I just see so much of this with Henry too. This like, I just need to be against this because you're for yes. this. And this yep. is a way for me to be separate. I don't know. I just get the attitude about, like I was saying before the show, I called a, you know, get together with his friends, a play date. And then he's like, well, I'm not interested in a play date. Like we hang out like all this attitude. It's like, but I'm doing the thing you want. <laughs> Who cares what I called it, right? But it is a big, it's like all of those opportunities to have that independence are a big deal. So this is one more, you know, of those. It doesn't feel good. I feel like as the mom, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. It's so uncomfortable. What about you, Elizabeth? Um, My life here continues to be just kind of a hot mess, but it's okay. Uh, We still don't have our things, which I think is adding to sort of this like chaos that we are in as a family. So, you know, going to school, which we haven't done in a long time, is is just a whole nother thing, like to get everybody out of the house. Teddy is definitely, we're three weeks into school now, is in that like in the morning, he doesn't really want to go, right? Who wants to get up and go to school? Then he doesn't, when he gets home, he's so exhausted. And we have this um, train ride home, although with him, Jeff's been trying to pick them up by car just because it it uh, it takes away 10 minutes of the, of the trip home. Teddy's teacher is really great about checking in with us, but almost every day, you know, I get an email that's like, hey, Teddy, you know, we he doesn't want to finish his coloring. Um, we're really focusing on coloring here. He just, he has expressed to me that he doesn't really like it. He doesn't see the value in it. Uh, but we had a nice chat and he went on his way, which is, I mean, such a reaction to homeschool because since he didn't like to color, I was sort of like, coloring is not the hill to die on. Yeah, he does right. his handwriting practice. He just really prefers line drawing. And if I ask him to add more detail, he's happy to do that, right? But for this teacher, the coloring is important for whatever reason. And and Teddy and I have talked about that. But I think making all these switches at once, particularly for him, is just really tough. And he's always been my toughest child in, in this sense, in the sense of like, he's very strong-willed. And if he doesn't want to do something... So I've been trying to just be like, I really love that you expressed to your teacher why, you know, you didn't want to color. Because I do think that's valuable for him to say, but I've added all these details in pen. I just don't want to make this colorful, right? But I also am sort of like, but you're in this school and they believe that coloring is part of the like assignment. And so as a result, we're going to have to color. He did, I guess, as a small victory last night just before bed, decide... I'm just going to be so good at coloring and do so much coloring that they tell me to stop coloring. So I'm there like, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the way we want to go. But uh, so I, I've, you know, typically in these moves, I ha- a lot of this is handled because they're home homeschooling. And so I can adjust to these things, give us more time when we, when we need it to be settling in, uh, impose some more like structure in the places we need it. And I just feel very like hands tied because we don't have the things that we would normally have to keep us organized and keep us in a routine. We don't have, like, I don't have as much flexibility with their school schedule. So it just, I'm just kind of riding out this path that is long and, you know, 
each day is it's, it's like, okay, maybe today we'll kind of nail down how the morning goes or the afternoon goes. Um, yeah, just a lot of little fails along the way, but it's all part of the process. I think it's just a big change, but big time. Yeah. Zach, how was your week? So last I left off, I had dropped Noah off for her first day of kindergarten after we uh, took the red eye home from California. So she was like pretty emotional the morning of her first day of school, but she walked into school with all the other kids and we just had our fingers crossed and we're hoping for the best. You guys, she loves school. Yay. She loves it. She is so into it that she <laughs> gets a little violent and upset when we pick her up. She doesn't want to leave. She loves it. She says she loves recess and lunch, but she says she's learning so much, so much that she can't even remember it. So it's hard to get details. We have a schedule from her teacher of what they're actually doing. Like they're working on phonics and some math and she's been very excited to start learning how to read and she's getting that there. And um, one thing that's cool about this school, it's a K through eight and she eats lunch and goes to recess with not just the, her fellow kindergartners, but also first and second graders. Um, and she loves like older kid vibes. And so she's like excited to, to be hanging out with seven and eight year olds and like, who knows what what the future holds but ideally she'll be at the school um as long as you know she continues to to like it and the school is as good as it it feels now she'll be there through eighth grade and then ami will be there so like it's conceivable that like we are just at the beginning of like a you know like a 10-year relationship with this place which is really special just to think about like the ways in which we are going to be able to dig in as, you know, members of the parent community. Um, This is like a feeling that I have been waiting for, this kind of feeling of like, okay, like this is where we're going to, you know, plant seeds and and see what what comes of them. So we're one weekend, but like so far she wants to like wear her school t-shirt every day. She's not giving us shit in the morning. Um, Ami, on the other hand, is, is still a challenge in the morning but that's that's a fail for for another day so but for now we're we're super thrilled with uh how it's going i went to the same school from first through eighth grade mm. and i think that is such a special experience you know um i had the opportunity to transfer out and go to a special accelerated program at the high school I ended up going to for seventh and eighth grade. And it was a big choice, you know, it was really prestigious. And I ended up staying because it just meant so much to me to complete those last two years at this place where I'd been, you know, for so long. I think there's really something to be said for a K to eight or a one eight, you know, experience Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you really, I don't know. I just, I love my elementary school in the way that I love my high school or my college, you know, like maybe even more than high school. Are you in touch with anyone from those days? Yeah. Yeah. My oldest friends are from elementary school. Yeah. Love it. And on that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll see you back here for a Jake Gyllenhaal interview. Okay, we're back. And I'm sure a lot of you recognize the name Jake Gyllenhaal. He has been in so many great movies. And we're not going to talk about any of them today because of the ongoing WGA strike. However, Jake Gyllenhaal is now an author. He and his longtime friend Greta Caruso have written a book. It's called The Secret Society of Aunts and Uncles. It's a children's book. It's delightful. 
And we're going to talk all about it along with the illustrator of that book, the very talented Caldecott medalist, Dan Santat. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so Greta, can you describe a vivid memory you have of one of your aunts practicing peak antiology or an uncle being like the greatest oncologist you could imagine? Yes, and thank you so much for using the correct terminology. There. I've studied. Um, it's actually auntistry is also a version of it, just in, in case you want to use it. Um, my uh, aunt Nancy, Nancy, to whom I dedicated the book, she is continues to be really amazing um, and would let me have Coke, which is peak auntistry. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. <laughs> um, but to my parents, they're the same things, honestly. They're, they're real like health food LA in the 90s types. Um, <laughs> really important. Um, she uh, one time picked me up from a piano lesson that she had sat in on. Um, and I have really wonderful parents and they were very supportive and told me I was really good at piano. But the truth was, I just didn't care about it. And I didn't practice it basically ever. Mm-hmm. And after the piano lesson, Nancy was driving me home and I turned to her and I was like, pretty good. <laughs> huh? And she looked at me and she was like, you know, you're just not that good at piano. And I was totally shocked by it, but that has come up so much when we were writing this book because she was just straight with me in a way that parents can't really right. be. But it was it was a moment where I really realized that I could trust her in a pretty profound way. Um, and also it was really funny to tell like a nine-year-old that they're bad at piano, but I needed to hear it. I really was. You, but also your parents were like, were they like, oh, you're amazing. Yeah, Greta. they were doing Everything that parenting. You do is amazing. Like, and I wasn't like me. You sound like me. You yeah. play piano like me. Terrible. Exactly. And who do you become if you don't have that truth telling aunt or uncle, right? Like it's totally changed the trajectory of who you become. Yeah, absolutely. You need someone. It's true. You need a Nancy. I have an Aunt Nancy too. And I feel like a lot of people have Aunt Nancy's. Do you find a lot of other Aunt Nancy's in your orbit? I don't. You know <laughs> I don't think there are enough Aunt Nancy's in the world, but um I do think, you know. Aunts and uncles, they don't need to be blood relatives, but I do think most people have in their childhood, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be someone that was an adult figure that kind of, that was honest with them about things, maybe talk to them about things that they weren't getting at home. I just think it is essential. Yeah. What about you, Jake? You didn't have the truth teller, but what did you have? Who was, give me uh, some aunt or uncle canonical moments. I had, tr- I had a, definitely had truth tellers. I mean, but I would say for me, my uncle Max, like he was always so playful and like, I think he always showed me like how to have fun. You know, he was goofy and like, sometimes I'd be like pretty serious kid. And But I was actually, I'm actually not that serious at all. Um, I think he really showed me that, um, you know, I I come from a family of like, they make very dramatic movies and stories and stuff. And he was like, eh. And yeah. I caught a shark with my uncle Bob once. An actual shark. Yeah, we caught a shark. No, he he had a boat. My my uncle Bob had a sailboat. He sailed all the time, and that was like we spent a lot of time on a sailboat. And I was, but yeah, we caught a shark on a boat, and he was like, we caught it, we reeled it in. That's very cool. Yeah, but I mean, that's not that that's. I mean, I guess that's the form of truth telling, right? Catching a shark, right? Catching catching a shark, catching a big fish, yeah, an actual big fish, yeah. But it's interesting what you're saying about your uncle you know, kind of like helping to find an equilibrium between the perhaps like the seriousness of your parents' world and Greta, like the, you know, this the seriousness of Coke being, you know, prohibited, like aunts and uncles are really good at showing you that there is another way, but not. Yeah, and there's a a space, like a a very, very unique space where, you know, parents have this, this unconditional 
love that I think also blinds them. And I think that blind spot is like right where the aunt and uncle fit, mm. where mm. you can still fit in the world of love, but you know, you can also say, you know, you can go do this, take this risk, you know, um, it's okay. It's not gonna, it's not gonna harm you. It might actually help grow you. I think that's the necessary kind of angle that the aunt and uncle should sit at is kind mm-hmm. of knowing their sibling and knowing the 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 strengths and weaknesses of them yeah and and helping helping them parent in those spaces that might be they may be a bit a bit afraid of like that's the best version of the aunt and uncle <laughs> totally dan have you have you worked on any aunt and uncle literature before uh no actually it's very in, very uncommon mm-hmm. it's typically about like a grandmother a grandfather right. uh parent pet dog you know things like that but you know it's not you might have you know, an aunt or uncle on the periphery, you know, just kind of adding color to the story, but never, never centralized on an aunt and uncle. So I think that's totally, I think it's fascinating that this script came about. I'm curious though. So, so since like you haven't worked with an aunt and uncle that have kind of taken center stage before, how did you think about personifying these characters with your illustrations? And so I'm, a, you know, my parents are expats. They came, they came to America from Thailand. I might bring this room down a little bit. So I never really got to meet my aunts and uncles. I have only gotten the opportunity once. And, uh, and I remember there was this one moment where my, I found out that my, 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 my uncle, my, my mom's younger brother, he was a cop. He was a cop in Thailand. <laughs> I remember it was like this one moment where uh, I see his police ID, right? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, that's, that's fascinating. You know? And, and, and then he, and then he removes the, he removes the badge and then he takes, he takes his revolver. He takes this big revolver out of the box. Right. And he holds it up and he's like, yeah, this is in Thai. And I can, <laughs> I can only speak like a five-year-old. Right. And he's holding this revolver in his hand. He looks at me. He's like, yeah, here's my gun. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> and he says, and he says, you want to hold it? And I'm just like looking around, you know, thinking, what is my mom going to think? What's my mom going to think that her, her brother is like handing this gun? I'm looking over and he, and he says, and he says, it's okay. It's not loaded. And I say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he hands me the revolver and I'm holding it. It's like the first time I ever held a gun. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is freaky. And then, and then I hear my mom come in and he just, he just yanks the gun out of my hand. He yanks the gun out of my hand and tucks away. And he like, he like winks at me. And I'm like, oh, we weren't supposed to do this. This was, this was awesome. And I kind of just translated that later on, like in life where, um, when I eventually became an uncle, uh, to my, to my wife's, uh, sister's kids, I have two nieces. And I remember I had this, you know, at the time, I think my niece, Anya, she was, Oh gosh, maybe really young, like three years old. And, and I went to their house and they had this weird, they had this weird relationship with their neighbors where the doors were just Mm -hmm. open and people could just walk in and out as they pleased. And I was just thinking to myself, like, is it cool Mm -hmm. to just like let people go in and out here, you know? And my niece, three years old, just starts walking into the house and I'm like, Anya, I, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you can just walk into somebody's house. And there was this phrase that she had just learned and she knew it was bad because I remember when she said it to me, she was so ashamed. She couldn't even make eye contact with me. She's staring at the ground because she's so disgusted about what she's about to say, but she's saying it to me. She says, (laughs) uncle Dan, what the hell's your problem? (laughs) Like, 
Um, okay, I guess I just won't. I guess I'll just let you walk in the house. And she just walks into the house and she comes out maybe like five minutes later. I'm just standing there. I don't I didn't want to go into the house and say, like, hi, I'm I'm Uncle Dan. You know, I'm Asian, but she's white, so I have to explain this whole thing. And she comes out and then she like <laughs> gives me a high five. She's like, Thanks for covering. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? I got it. You even know that phrase and so that's that's, that's like where you're coming weird. from wow <laughs> you you two are old friends jake and greta and, and i'm curious what kinds of conversations you were having that led to this idea of let's write a children's book about aunts and uncles well at first you know we started this book like during the lincoln administration a while ago <laughs> um and so at first we you know we talked a lot about the books that we loved when we were kids and then we talked a lot about the kind of children's book we felt like we were in a position to write at that point in our lives. Um, and I think it's a relationship, this aunt, uncle, niece, nephew relationship, one that we've talked a lot about and one that has served us both in really different ways. Um, and it's one that's, you know, been totally forgotten by children's literature, as Dan said, um, and really is its its own thing that requires a kind of different sort of treatment. When we started, I was just a niece, and now I'm a, an aunt twice over and a mom. So we've added some new people to the mix. But um, I think that was the initial thing that that kind of inspired the, the idea. Do you have theories about why why aunts and uncles have been overlooked? Um, just injustice. <laughs> General injustice. I think, I think you know, it, it's interesting in that, like, I, I don't, I don't think it's it's commonly thought of as a significant relationship, you know, in, in that there are so many stories about siblings, you know, relationship with right. siblings is like, is biblical. Right. Yep. Um, and yet kind of the offshoot of that is anting and uncling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, I just think it's probably, you know, we're, we're, we're more inclined towards stories that seem like big gestures and the essence of this story is that the small gesture is sometimes particularly for a child like a huge gesture those little things we remember it's why when i remember reading children's books as a kid it's the small things that i would i'd pass over and then find again on the 10th read you know that i fell in love with books as a result of that that's why dan's illustrations are so extraordinary because Mm -hmm. filled with wonderful detail and easter eggs and he gets to know his authors and he is so deeply involved in the storytelling process and was with us. And so, you know, like, I think it's the small things that have the most significance and yet are oftentimes overlooked. So it's not surprising to me that that relationship, which I've discovered with my nieces, it's easy to say, but harder to do to say, like, I'm just going to sit and and ask you how you are and see you. And that's going to define our relationship. And that's what the book is about, is just the nephew, Leo in this case, but it can be a niece too, like just defining what an aunt or an uncle is. And that's what the idea is. And it's, it's, you know, it's just like, I remember becoming an uncle and being like, whoa, like uncle, J- I'm uncle Jake now, like forever. It's a big deal. It's like, it's it's like put it on my CV, man. Like that's <laughs> to me better than any award, you know? Yeah, that's sweet. I have to be honest, I've thought to myself over the years, especially now that I have kids and I read a lot of children's books, I've, I've thought to myself, like, it can't be that hard to write a children's book. 
but I haven't done it. And so what were you surprised to be like, oh, no, I was totally wrong. Like this, this certain thing. Interesting. Silly idea. It's called hubris, my friend. Oh, yeah. Hubris and chutzpah. Yes, we were quite arrogant. We sort of, we were like secret society aunts and uncles. Boom. Perfect. 700 years later. Ramon is actually 75 years old now. Yeah. Truly, um, it was really hard. It's really, I mean, not to be too simplistic about it, it's really hard because it's so few words. And so if you had the opportunity to just write as much as you wanted, it would really cover for a lot of um, fat in the story. And because you don't, you're not able to do that, there can't be like one superfluous word. It just took us forever. And I think the like, really the huge missing piece in the process for us was Dan yeah. and his illustrations that we had this, we were like circling around this idea and we had these characters and we kind of knew the shape of things, but we just didn't know how that kind of amorphous idea was going to become a children's book. And then when we met Dan and he sketched out these two characters, it really just brought it to life almost instantaneously. Yeah. I felt like I was in an editing room and shooting a movie at the same time. It was so fun. It was like, Sometimes I felt like we were doing like a, a cold reading. Do you know what I mean, Dan? Like when we were, we'd be working together and I'd be like, like when they give you a script and you're just like, okay, bring out all the tools you've used for the years. And, and Dan was doing that with the illustrations. And it was just so inspiring. Mm. You know, it was like, I remember mentioning that it felt like we were in an editing room, you know, where you would look at something and tighten up a scene. I will, I will, I will say this because when, when the, when the manuscript first came to me, gosh, if I recall, I think the, I think the manuscript was sitting somewhere at like 62 pages. And typically, yeah, typically picture books are 32 to 40 pages. And the one thing that I really have to give credit to Jake and Greta about is that, you know, I've I've sometimes worked uh, with other celebrities and, you know, they'll be insistent that, you know, it, it has to be this way. And then you kind of have to conform to, to what they want. Uh, but, you know, they were both so amazing in the process of just kind of letting go of the steering wheel and saying, you know, this isn't our realm. This isn't what we're comfortable with. I remember Jake specifically saying, you know, like, I know story. I just don't know children's books. So I, yeah. I need I need to understand. I need I need your help. And he just gave me the manuscript and he said, please, please make this better. And I have never seen two people learn so quickly because I worked with some very well-known authors who insist that their words be you know precious and here i was watching jake and greta just you know yeah. just slice and dice away to the point where we actually got it down to yeah 34 i mean i think i think that's the process pages? of like in movies in particular that's the process of right like as you shape something you know yeah. you have to be a visual it is a visual medium so you 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 have to be aware of the literal and the visual. You have to be a literary the visual. You, you have to know that there's a structural story that needs to be told. But like there are things that can be told in behavior. There, yeah. As a performer in particular, you can say, I don't need to say that I can, I can communicate that. But you can only know you can communicate that if you're aware and connected to the narrative, right? It's not just right. thinking about character and your character where they're at. I'm an actor who's thinking about story first and plugging my character into the story. So you have to be mm. aware of the backbone. And it's right. the same thing with this process was when you have someone with Dan's expertise, what you can do is you can say, I've always dreamed of a three word page, right? Like I don't want anything more than three words. I can visualize that's what I want, but there are 15 words here. And it's annoying me that it's taking us 15 words to say this. 
And then Dave right. goes, well, I drew this. And then, I mean, and then I go, oh, okay, well, that means we can take out four words. Okay, now we're still left. We still have nine words and we need to get rid of, at the, at the most, we need six more to go. Can we do it? And then we take out this word, it doesn't work. But then he adds, that inspires him to write that, draw that illustration. And then that was how it worked. And That sounds really fun. It was, it was so fun. fun. I feel like where we, we were just high on cutting pages and cutting text. Oh, yeah. and, and then there are a few little things in the end that we got either added back in or added that we hadn't had in there. And they were so meaningful. It felt like such a surgical mm. kind of addition. That's fun. Um, That's yeah, awesome. It was, oh, the it was word really choice great. towards the end, particularly yeah. as Dan was saying, the emotional spots, like when he talks to the rubber band and stuff, like you really do see when you talk about, when you, when the, the best authors, the ones I love so much, like when they talk about structuring and restructuring a sentence, sometimes things flow and they don't even remember what they wrote. And then sometimes they stick for like weeks on a sentence, you know, cause the choice is so dire between an and and mm-hmm. an, and an, an, and, and an, uh, you know what I mean? And, and, and like, and I, I, I felt the pressure of putting that into print and we yeah. did too, where there was like a freedom, a freedom, a freedom. And then it starts to narrow, 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 narrow. And you're like, Oh God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it was just, it was, ma- it was really a magical process in the end. And I'm like a wonderful, like we reached, I reached out to Dan, like I just DM'd him because like, I love his work and I thought it was a long shot. You know, I was just like, yo, we love your work. Like, would you ever be interested? You know? And I was just like, oh yeah, hey, cool. What's up? Sure. You know? And I was like, what the, you know? Uh, yeah. But it was so cool. You know, it was like our instincts had led us to him. Right. And then I think it was right. Our instincts matched up. Like there was a reason why I I reached out to him. That was Jake Gyllenhaal, Greta Caruso, and Dan Santat talking about their new book, The Secret Society of Aunts and Uncles. And that's our show. Please reach out to us with your questions or topics you want us to cover at slate.com or leave us a voicemail. We love getting voicemails. We love hearing your voice. 646-357-9318. That's 646-357-9318. You can also subscribe to our show, leave us a rating and friendly review, and tell your friends. Thank you so much. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. 